Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We're talking about the church. We're seeking to understand what the church really should be like in this day and age, what God's purposes for his church are. Yesterday, we we covered everything from the early church to why there are so many different expressions of the church and so many divisions. So perhaps today we should ask the question, Colin, given the history of the church, is there hope for the church? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, of course, because God's purposes are going to be fulfilled through the church. The church is to be the bride of Christ for whom he is going to return and take to himself. So, of course, um, God will fulfill his purposes through his body, through the church. But he, that doesn't mean he will fulfill his purpose through the denominations and through the visible, broken, disunity disunified church as we perceive it, but he will fulfill his purpose through this one true church, which is not any particular denomination, but all those believers who have been incorporated into Christ. Through those who are incorporated into Christ, God will fulfill his purposes. And you see, even uh, to, to follow on from what I was saying yesterday about how many of these different churches came into existence because they were really emphasizing, and I believe called by God at that time, to emphasize aspects of the truth that had been lost. This is true of the last hundred years, where first of all the Pentecostal denominations and then all the charismatic churches came into existence because the life and power of the Holy Spirit to a great extent had been lost. The prominence, the rightful place of the Holy Spirit had been lost in the church. And so there was need to restore the rightful place of the Holy Spirit in the church um, to restore the gifts of the Spirit, to restore the, the, um, the freedom of the Holy Spirit uh, so that God's purposes could uh, be furthered. Because, you see, if, if God knows that the church, the body of Christ, can only fulfill his purpose in and through the life and power of the Holy Spirit, then we have to take hold of every dynamic and dimension of the Holy Spirit's life and power. It's not a question of love or faith because the Spirit of God is the Spirit of love. He is also the Spirit of faith. He is the Spirit of wisdom. He is the Spirit of power. He is the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of peace. He is the Spirit of joy and so on. And all these are biblical ways of describing the life and activity of the Holy Spirit. So all these things are to be evidenced in the life of the church. So um, no one particular church or congregation or denomination can rightfully claim to be the one true church. That is deception to even think like that. But what we can say is, well, any particular group of people that form a local congregation will actually manifest what the church is to be in as much as it radiates the life and the dynamic and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, at the same time, 
they will be a people of faith in the word of God because Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who guides us into all the truth. He takes the things, the words of Jesus, declares them to us. So the word and the spirit in the New Testament always go together. So a, a, a body of believers that are seeking to be an expression of church in the true biblical sense will be people who will uncompromisingly believe in the word of God as the revelation of truth that God has given to us. Now, that does not mean they will necessarily have a legalistic uh, view of Scripture, but they will see, as Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. So they will radiate the life of God's word. They won't just be a, like a, a group of modern-day Pharisees. Um, at the same time, uh, they can only radiate that life because of the way in which the Holy Spirit and the word are working together in their lives personally and corporately in the life of the church. So um, that, I believe, is as near as we can get to, to church as God intends it to be. Now, I've had the privilege of ministering in churches where we've experienced revival, but also in visiting churches where there is genuine revival. I don't just mean a move of the Spirit. Sometimes in recent years, we've had moves of the Spirit that people have called revival, but I don't think have really been the full-blooded thing that God intends because it hasn't transformed the church and the church impacting the world in the way that God intends. But, you know, wherever I've seen what I call true revival, you always have this the, the same manifestation, a people of the Word of God and a people of the Spirit of God, a people that are really living to see the kingdom of God extended here on earth. In revival, people aren't interested in doing all kinds of other things with their lives, you know. They, they're just so given over to God. Of course, they have to work and support their families, but whatever spare time they have is in somehow or another is is used to promote the gospel to see people being saved out of darkness and brought into the light of truth now the bible tells us that jesus is returning for his bride those members of his true church therefore the church is going to survive there are many who say the church is dead, it's finished. So what's going to happen? What's well, the church happen? isn't dead. I mean, the church is more alive now. I mean, I've been ordained for 44 years. It's more alive now than it was 44 years ago. Um, it's, it's like, a, a, like a, a, a body that was in a coma that has been stirred to life in those 40-plus years. But, of course, you don't see that life everywhere. And one of the sadnesses to me, you know, having been at the heart of a wonderful move of God uh, in, through the Holy Spirit, it, it was very encouraging to see how many churches and church leaders opened their hearts and lives to what God was doing and saw glorious transformation in their churches as a result. The sad thing to me was that so many resisted what the Spirit of God was wanting to do and were just secure in their denominationalism. They just wanted to be go on being good denominational people. Well, I'm afraid that's not God's purpose. It's not that, you know, that God has finished with the denominations because denominations are people. 
God will never revive denominations because he didn't create them. He doesn't want them. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. But in the denominations of people, and God loves the people, he's concerned for the people. He wants, he wants his people to be the people of love, the people of faith, the people of power, the people of the word, the people of the spirit, and so on. So it's been my great privilege to see thousands and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people within denominational churches become true believers and get filled with the spirit and see their, their Christian lives gloriously transformed. And, you know, the question that people have asked me countless times when, when they come into this new freedom of the Spirit is, why didn't we know this before? Why didn't anybody tell us before? And there's no answer to that because it's there in the Word of God. Uh, and um, if we are open to the Word, if we're open to the Spirit of God, then He will work amongst us. He will do what uh, He wants to do in His body. You've experienced revival, just as the early church did. They also experienced severe opposition. Do the two go hand in hand? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And you see, the opposition for Jesus came from the church of his day, synagogues, the religious leaders. Uh, In the early church, where did the opposition come? From the synagogues, from the churches, you know, from those who thought that they were already safe uh, in, in God's purposes. Um, and where does the opposition come from today? It doesn't come from the world. It comes from within the churches. You think that's the major source of opposition? Oh, yes, definitely, without any question whatsoever. Um, there's fear. Uh, fear of um, facing up to the truth, actually. But, you know, all this began in, in my life when I was a very young pastor. I was just 30 when all this started. And one of one of the most humbling things for me was to have people that had been pastors 30, 40 years, men in their 60s, men nearing retirement, even some who had retired, who were coming to me and seeking what they had lacked throughout their ministries, this life and power and dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And for me, it was very, very humbling, you know, um, because... I knew that whatever God was doing in my life and in the church where I was the vicar was all the work of his grace. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just hanging on to God's coattails, literally. Every day we were saying, well, what do we do now and how do we do it? Because there weren't any models, Junior. There wasn't any. There wasn't another church we, we could look at and say, oh, that's how you do it. We were, we were having to pioneer something really new. And this was before the new charismatic churches called the house churches began. I mean, we'd been going for three years in this before the first house church was actually founded in this country. So it was a real pioneering kind of situation. Very, very exciting. Very, very challenging. But wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Because it was as if we were living in a totally different spiritual dimension not only than we'd ever lived in before, but different from anything that we ever conceived to be possible. And I think the trouble is, you know, that in the 30 years since that the charismatic movement began in this country, it's become institutionalized. This is what man always does. He takes something that's new and afresh and live and powerful in God, and he turns it into a system. 
You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 